The following podcast may contain content that is not suitable for all ages or sensitive ears. Please be responsible. Thank you, and donkey. As an additional disclaimer, please take note that the following podcast is exceptionally intense and somewhat disturbing. Hello, Saving Family. Landon here. And uh, thank you for, for tuning in uh, to this episode of the Save Them Podcast. Um, today's topic, it's an important one. And um, as we've been doing the um, Mission Scope series here, uh, we've, we've covered sex trafficking. Uh, we have covered knocking and organized uh, gang stealing. Um, and we've covered the Zamazamas and the... Um, illegal mining trade. Now, all of these aspects of criminality have human trafficking flowing through them, and specifically the trafficking of children, uh, which is where Save Them puts most of its energy into finding and rescuing children from the grips of those who would do them harm. So today, uh, we're going to introduce a topic to you that if you're not familiar with Southern Africa, might be totally new. It is the topic of Muti. And um, many of you who have followed the, the, the umbrella of human trafficking will have heard about organ trafficking, the trafficking of organs. Uh, typically, you've heard a story about someone selling a kidney um, or people having kidneys taken from them. Uh, there are the urban myths around such a thing, hotel rooms, bathtubs with ice, you know, horrible, scary things like that. Um, but in, in the kind of the real world where we operate, um, there, there is organ trafficking that is tied very closely to the occult, uh, and black magic, witchcraft practices of the traditional healers of sub-Saharan Africa. And, uh, in South Africa, this is referred to as Muti. And in Nigeria, it's referred to as juju. She might have heard the expression, man, that's bad juju. Um, careful when you say that. <laughs> you, you're referring to a pretty horrific thing <laughs> when you say that. Um, but not to make light of this, but um, words matter. And today we've uh, been able to find a documentary uh, that was put together. It's fairly well done. And I want to thank the people. Uh, it's a crowd called True Crime. And um, I'm going to uh, extract the audio so that you can listen to it uh, as you're moving about and in a podcast format. And I recommend that you do listen to the audio. But if, if you have time, and I really recommend this, please watch the video because the video, you get all the pictures of the world that we operate in in South Africa. And it really will help you understand the landscape uh, in which these murders are taking place, the trafficking of children, um, the killing of children, and the trafficking of their organs to support witch doctors and, and witchcraft. And, you know, often we... Oh, we we mentioned things like, hey, you know, we're going after the occult. Well, the occult has different flavors, uh, different denominations, if you will. And uh, we will do other podcasts that deal with some of the other denominations of the occult. And this one, looking at Muti, is going to be highlighting the black magic witchcraft aspect of the traditional systems in Southern Africa and how that has merged into uh, the modern day environment. Uh, a lot of these things that typically used to be rural are now being moved into the urban centers and you're getting a lot of tragic things taking place in urban environments, which people used to just associate with somewhere way over there. And now it's happening in your neighborhood. So uh, we have had multiple <laughs> um, interventions, uh, raids in different environments where we have found human trafficking gangs from um, different syndicates who had many different um, chopped up dead children uh, who uh, were being basically uh, set up to be sold 
into the witch doctor networks and into the muti markets um, for organ trafficking. It's one of the most horrific things that you can imagine. And it happens all over the place. Um, and we, we target these, these uh, networks and we work to undo them. And most importantly, we work to get the children out um, because um, this is a very bluntly a dead end road uh, for these children. There's no escaping this aspect of human trafficking. When you've been targeted for this and you are going to be used in this fashion, um, there's only one end game here. So um, this is way more severe than, um, let's say, labor trafficking, okay, uh, where we're rescuing people from the mines and stuff. Um, they, they still have a chance to live, right? They have a chance to overcome and uh, heal from their hurt, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but when you are being um, birthed and into this environment of the Sangoma, the traditional healer, um, there's no future for you. And as, as Christians, we value every soul as equal to our own and every soul of every human being is glorious in the eyes of the Lord and his heavenly host. Okay, so uh, we will go to the ends of the earth to rescue just one child from this horrific fate. Um, and, you know, for that one child, and this has happened, when they come to know and profess Jesus Christ, you just think about the ripple effects of that in the world around us. And um, it's, a, it's a fantastic, fantastic journey to have the honor to play the role in that person's life, uh, which otherwise would have been snuffed out. So um, that is why we take head, um, head on the challenge of undoing muti uh, murders and trafficking of organs. So this, um, this audio, this uh, documentary, it is, uh, I think, 52 minutes long. Uh, I think I got that right. So this is a little bit of a longer podcast. Um, please hang, hang with us all the way through the end. If you need to listen to it in, in multiple chunks, please do. Um, it's a little bit longer than we like to do, but it, there is so much comprehensive information in here. And this was the best way for me to communicate out to you this, this issue of Muti. So, um, thank you for taking the time to educate yourself about this. And, um, as always, we, we covet your prayers and support and, uh, just, just keep us within your scope and on your radar, um, for our teams and for those that we help. And uh, we've, we've had a lot of good stories of rescues and, um, yeah, just, just, just success uh, of late. And we're so thankful uh, for the great things the Lord is doing um, through this ministry, but to, to his glory. So, all right, I am going to hand you over to the folks at True Crime. They use the word voodoo murders. Uh, you'll see they quickly turn over to Muti uh, in the actual broadcast. I think they just maybe realize that if they just use the word muti, people wouldn't know what they were talking about. And so they introduce it, explain it, and they stick with it as they get into there. So I'm going to hand you over to the folks at True Crime. And um, please, uh, yeah, absorb what you can. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Blessings to you. And this is Landon out. Cheers. London, 21st September 2001. Not far from Tower Bridge in the murky waters of the Thames, a passerby discovers something that looks like the lifeless body of a child. The man immediately notifies the police. Minutes later, officers recover the body of a dark-skinned boy around five years old, wearing only a pair of shorts. The child's arms, legs, and head are missing. 
To this day, they have not been found. Scotland Yard follows a number of leads, but none of the investigators believes this is an ordinary crime. So the torso, what, how big? I suppose it was about, uh, it was about that big. Uh, yeah, about, about that big. And mm. um, obviously the head was missing, the arms are missing, and, and uh, the legs, just stumps left. I've seen torsos before, but, but not of someone so young, and then having shorts put on afterwards. That was the, so we've not seen it, have we? The scope and extent of investigations are unprecedented in the history of Scotland Yard. Over 60 countries are involved in the search. All kinds of scientists work doggedly to solve the case. Apart from the torso and shorts, there were virtually no other clues that might help find the perpetrators. No witnesses, no weapon, no records of a missing person. American FBI agents doubt the case will ever be solved. A crime whose circumstances are as mysterious as its motive. Forensic examinations are hoped to provide some indication of the boy's origins. His body is completely bloodless. Arms, legs, and head have been professionally severed. An analysis of bone structure indicates that the child must have enjoyed a healthy but not a European diet. Skin color and build point to Africa. Were the limbs removed from the body so that the torso could be transported in a suitcase? The intestinal tract contains traces of a European cough medicine. The lungs contain pollen that is typical only of London at this time of the year. So the child was still alive when it arrived in London. Results of the autopsy, death through blood loss. The police investigate with the help of Europol and Interpol. Are there similar cases anywhere else in the world? Scotland Yard receives a lead in the South African city of Pretoria. The world's only occult crime police unit comes up with some information that suddenly points to investigations in a completely different direction. We, we had a number of goals when we went to South Africa. One was to, to, to learn from uh, Gerard yeah. and, and, um, and the other uh, advisors over there about yeah. the subject. Yeah. Secondly was, was to um, get, get Mr. Mandela to make that appeal to the African peoples of the world. Yeah. Um, we were beginning to realize, because it was dovetailing with our forensic work, we were beginning to, to recognize that this child came from Africa. Yeah. Um, and was to, to needed that champion that, that we could um, then appeal to the people from, from Africa to come forward. And that in, it, in itself generated a lot of calls and a lot of expert advice coming into the, our inquiry. And from there, we, we moved on. Supported by scientists, Scotland Yard develops a theory that casts a new light on the circumstances of the murder. Apparently, there is a link to forms of occult religion in southern Africa. There are reports of ritualistic killings of humans in the records of colonial officials and missionaries. Under certain circumstances, parts of the human body were used to produce so-called muti, a Zulu word for medicine. Traditional African medicine is usually made from the parts of animals and roots or herbs. Only extreme forms make use of human body parts. In the mid-80s, when there was a sudden spat of so-called muti murders, South Africa's government commissioned Professor Ralushai to look into the phenomenon in greater depth. Ritual murder was committed for different reasons. One, it might happen that a chief, uh, well, that somebody, shortly after becoming a, a ruler, needs more power. Then it is believed that if you can get, if you can use human flesh, certain parts, he'll become a very strong person. So in other words, if they can grab a very powerful person, that means that 
the power of that powerful person will be transferred to this uh, young chief. But now, that was not uh, common or true. The fact of a human being, it was <laughs> believed, could be used also in iron or smelting to make the fire really hot. With the human fat, it was believed that the iron would melt faster. And then three, human parts, or certain parts, could be used to produce a good harvest. In times of crisis, such as droughts or war, muti, or medicine murders, represent an attempt to ensure the survival of a community. Ritualistic murders of this kind were carried out according to a strict set of rules and practiced only for the benefit of everyone. In the past, traditionalists, meaning rulers, for their own reasons, did take part in that. At present, we would now a new group of people, business people. In almost every case in which a um, businessman was uh, convicted of having taken part in, um, in, uh, in, in, in motive murder, if you could just go to his business, for at that time it was crumbling. So a certain younger or certain traditional must have told him, look, if you come to us and uh, you pay us mm, so much, we can get you somebody, you know, through his, through his parts, we can build up your own business. So the present type of multi-killing is too much linked with wealth. This is how experts today interpret these mysterious and gruesome murders. Until 30 years ago, no one could explain how these maimed bodies came to be floating in rivers. From the mid-80s, a significant increase in the number of victims was registered. In 1992, South African police set up an internationally unique occult crime unit. Psychologist Gerard Labouscarné is trying to get to the bottom of the phenomenon. What are the typical hallmarks of a muti murder? Typically what we'd find in a, in a muti murder, obviously, is the main thing is missing body parts. Um, so that's our first stepping stone in terms of determining a muti murder. The typical things you would find missing uh, are the head, you'd have decapitations, uh, the atlas bone, uh, that your head rests upon is, is often seen as quite an, an important bone, so you might find that is missing. So if you recover a head and you found the body, that that section of the neck is gone. Uh, the genitals, uh, male and female, would be cut off, uh, breasts uh, cut off. And then you might find various body parts like, like your hand, um, eyeballs might be missing, etc. So that's typical. So that's your first step, is the actual body parts, to start characterizing it as a muti murder. Then other things that we've discovered through our investigations that you would very rarely find a muti murder victim completely naked. Uh, you might find that the clothing has been removed just to get access to that body part that's missing. Uh, you would, in quite a number of instances, find them near water. Uh, they say that water has a symbolic reference in the sense that it cleans, physically it can clean your hands, to clean the murderer can uh, wash the blood of his hands, but symbolically in that water also cleanses away your sins.
murder with an occult background. Scotland Yard establishes a link between traditional religion and medicine in Southern Africa with a crime committed in London. What makes this investigation so unique? Because we brought in many team players, spiritual, uh, uh, cultural advisors, independent advisors, people with that background, academic background, uh, pathologists that deal with it. You know, that's five groups alone before we even get into the variations within that. Academics, we've got UK, uh, Anthony Minar, um, the USA, um, academics as well, we're reading books around it. And this isn't, there's a part of hungry for thirst of knowledge, but it's also focusing back, and that's why I tried to say earlier on, our focus has got to be identify who this child is, um, deal with him properly, proper burial, within his faith, whatever that is, if possible, find out who killed him and why, and bring them to justice. In some countries south of the Sahara, belief in witchcraft and magic still influences the convictions and behavior of many people. Belief in occult forces offers an explanation for things that cannot otherwise be explained by traditional religion. Financial or personal failures, poverty, illness, or the sudden death of a person, or evil itself. They protect the here and now and not the life to come. Traditional African systems of belief are worldly. They make people rich or beautiful, powerful or influential in the present life. The appeal of such beliefs is obvious, especially in times of crisis. Two-thirds of the people live in rural areas south of the Sahara, but even they have been affected by the capitalized world market. Colonialism, globalization, and migration have destroyed traditional family and clan structures. In traditional African religions, misfortune, such as economic failure or personal tragedy, does not contain the moral message it has for Christians. It indicates the discontent of ancestors. Many Africans blame bad fortune on their direct environment. They fight against poverty and for social recognition on all levels. Black magic is practiced to protect against envy and ill will. From way back till now, Africans, we very much believe in witchcraft. Very much. Educated or not, whether you are Christian or not, we believe in witchcraft. And that's why you find that people are killed, because they need their eyes, because maybe they need their private parts or maybe they need the lever. As an African, like other Africans, I believe that my personality on earth is under the control of my ancestors, that the, the, they are the cause of all the good and bad in my life. Whatever I have is because of their influence. So every year, I make sure I have to make now sacrifices for them, see? And for a successful communication with the ancestors as an African, I have to make now African beer. I have to slaughter a goat or maybe a, a cattle. Then I invite now all my friends and relatives to come and eat and drink with me, see? And after eating the meat, I take all the bones next to Lehuame, is the name of the plant, which stands now for the spirits of the ancestors in my home state. I make a hole, put them in, close, and believe that at least I have shared with them. Sacrificial animals or plants, an important element of traditional African religion. To please their ancestors and spirits, the Zulus usually sacrifice cows as traditional cattle breeders. Today, goats play an important role. When colonial forces began confiscating and levying taxes on Zulu herds in the 19th century, families in urban regions replaced cows with goats as a sacrificial animal. The most important and protagonists in traditional African medicine in South Africa are known as Sangoma and Inyanga. Sangomas are priests and doctors in one. 
fortune tellers who invoke ancestral spirits to determine the cause of illness, sudden death, or other plights. Illness is not merely the absence of health. Physical well-being depends on harmony with the environment and also harmony with the spiritual world, with the gods and the spirits and one's own ancestors. By going into a trance, dancing or interpreting bones, the Sangoma seek contact with the ancestral spirits who then inform them of the causes of the disturbance. A distant relation of this man, whom he never knew personally, did not receive a proper burial. The order of the ancestral spirits has been disturbed. This is why the man now suffers from a nervous illness. Unlike the Sangomas, the Inyangas do not diagnose illnesses. They are authorities on the animal and plant world. What problems do people who consult an Inyanga have? Too much of the pain, like too much of the sick. Yeah. When I come for sick, first I'm taking this smoothie, there's two. And then I just do just like this. And then I just give it to him. And then I just take another one. There's another one too. This two just like this too. Just eat and then I just give it to him. He's sick, he don't know how to talk, he don't know how to do anything, he don't know how to sleep. And then I'm taking this one. This one, I just mix it up with the water. Hot water or boiling water. And then I do this toba like that, toba, and then I drink it up like that. And then that I got another one too from that in the plastic. That for palaza, this cooking, when they come right, and then use palaza with the five liters so big like that. There's a tier too. We got him for palaza that what you call. More than 50% of the Inyangas learned a profession from their grandparents, whereas a Sangoma receives his calling from his ancestors at an early age. First, you become sick. You become attacked by a special sickness, which we call Tuasa. During that sickness, you are able to see things before they happen. If there are people coming, I know before being told that there are people coming. And this gift is developed. You get initiated. You are taught healing medicine by your teachers. You are taught how to sharpen your gift and make it good. You are taught many things, but it is not a pleasant thing. I mean, it was when we saw Credo, when I remember, I'll never forget those words, when he said, uh, you need to sniff the little boy's genes. Mm. Uh, and when you sniff his genes, you will find that he's from West Africa. I wanted to help these officers to catch the murderer. He said it with, uh, with, with no knowledge of the forensic work that had been done. He was the first to say it. He did say Caribbean at first, but then said, no, I'm pretty sure West African. The child is wearing shorts, short trousers. These trousers were put on the child after he had been killed. In some parts of Africa, the colors orange, red, and white stand for a good muti, medicine which people can use to help themselves. Black, green, and blue, on the other hand, symbolize a muti that is harmful to others. It is believed that Sangomas can use their spiritual skills to heal, but also to kill. Like I spoke with some traditional healers in the northern part of South Africa, they told me, we did not choose to follow this calling. We did not choose to become traditional healers. We were chosen by the spirits. They say we had no choice in this, in this matter. 
we were selected and even forced by the spirits to go for training and to practice this. They would also not be able to diagnose properly without the use of spirits and even select what medicine and what routes to give without consultation with the spirits. And even in dreams and through their methods of communicating with the spirits, they would find out where to go in the mountain to find certain types of roots and herbs that they could use according to the prescription given by the spirits. Apart from herbal remedies, which are proven to have a curative effect, muti markets like this one here in Durban also sell potions which protect against this kind of dangers that are beyond the powers of classical medicine. Traditional African medicine, a tiny particle from a scorpion or a snake, fat from a lion, and herbs make up a muti medicine that is given to newborn babies. Treatment with this kind of medicine is believed to protect against bites by this particular animal or to prevent death in the event of a bite. Every region, and therefore its plants, animals, and people, has its own typical character, which is closely connected with the local atmosphere. If this harmony is disturbed by a spirit, which can appear in the guise of an animal, the original order has to be restored again with a muti medicine. Parts of the human body, which are used only in exceptional cases of occult medicine, are not sold openly on these markets. People are wary of revealing who can supply them. So some of these medicines, there is a scientific, scientific explanation for them. But there are some of them which are purely occult. And I think that's where the challenge lies, to convince the world the existence of the occult and that the occult has physical effects, and that the occult has psychological impacts, and that it is dangerous for society. And that is our big problem. How do you prove that? Sangomas are both respected and feared members of African society. They are distinguished representatives of traditional religion and medicine. In their dual role, their own physical condition is closely linked to a harmonious community life and a healthy relationship to ancestral spirits. Traditional African religion does not actively propagate faith or pursue a mission. And the relationship between religion and medicine is ultimately only something a Sagoma knows about. Not every follower of a cult believes would commit a murder only a few cross the imaginary line between animal sacrifice and the murder of a human being. But in South Africa alone, it is believed that one muti murder is committed every month. Because many bodies are never discovered, researchers assume the actual figure is considerably higher. I was once uh, giving a presentation in Paris. Uh, on Muti murders specifically, and someone came up to me afterwards from Ivory Coast and said that they had similar practices with a similar motive and, and belief system underlying it. And then I think it was someone from Algeria that came up to me and said even there they have the same practices with the same underlying belief system. So from what I've gathered, um, throughout Africa, it seems it, it, it does occur um, with the pretty much the same motive behind it. Um, obviously, it'll vary, be called different things in different countries. Um, we've definitely had incidences in Swaziland, Botswana, uh, Zimbabwe, which, you know, are, are neighboring countries um, that I've heard of that have been documented in research. Um, and again, it's, it's always linked to an underlying cultural belief system. Cases of occult-related crime are difficult to investigate. Investigators are almost always confronted by a wall of silence. What I know is that they also believe that they are there is switches. They also believe that the multi can work because they are afraid of it. I don't think a person can be afraid for something that is that they don't believe it's, it's, it can work. They they also believe in in that in order for you to 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 be accepted in the community, you have to go through certain initiation, which, according to me, is, is a sort of an African belief. 
Everyone is affected by fear of the supernatural. Never before has a murderer described his motive so openly. He said he got instruction from his central spirit that he have to sacrifice a person in order to appease his central spirit. So that in that case is very much unique because it is way in from the onset. He never denied to have killed his own son. Is a murder like this an extreme form of occult belief? It's very detailed and it's very cruel. It's very detailed because he's saying that he, he started by cutting his child on the throat. And when the blood, the blood comes out, he holds that child on his leg so that the blood can come out through. And the blood was going into a container that was put for that purpose until he, he, that child died. And he also said that he forced his wife to hold the child while the blood is coming out. And if you can imagine a person cutting his own child and that child crying, you, it's painful, it's painful. I think one perhaps has a perception of people who commit these kind of murders as being animals uh, or, or, or very aggressive and violent people, but typically they, they, they're very normal looking people. Um, a lot of them deny uh, the fact that they had done these particular crimes even after being in jail. Uh, in many instances they deny the fact that it was for multi purposes. Um, we often think that that's as a result of their own fear of retribution from the traditional healer. They might be cursed or something might happen to them if they speak out. And we have a, a documented case where the murderer was arrested. He made statements implicating two traditional healers who were picked up, but later he withdrew those statements and denied that this was ever for Moody purposes. And to this day, he still denies that that, that, that is the case. But he forced me to close, to open my eyes and see my child being slaughtered like a calf. Yes, it was done and over it, over with it, and you have to cut up those those hands and those legs, cut everything up out of my child. Everything he wanted, whatever he wanted, those private parts of his legs hands and it's like you know if you if you are cutting a chicken out cutting a chicken she was it was cut cut like a chicken parts out of the body and the body was there the head was off the hands were off the legs were off it's like just a body the now 28-year-old mother moved hundreds of miles away after the murder. What made her husband kill the child? He had big dreams for himself. He wanted himself to be rich, to be famous, and all those things. But he was in a very disadvantaged area. There's no shops, everything. The only thing he can, he can think about was maybe becoming a sangoma, healing people. I don't know how did that dream developed. Maybe he's the one who can like explain too much. He had the dream to become famous, become a healing person, become somebody with pride, somebody people can respect. He, a victim, he is a, a victim in, in which way? Because he was being misleaded because he, he wanted to earn a living and he believed in what people they say. He, he, he told him he can become a Sangoma, he can be very famous, he can be rich. And because that is what he wanted. 
and that make him to believe strongly in those ancestors. Believe, make him believe in every dream he have overnight. Every, if he, he, he have to, he, he dreamed about killing, killing me. He might as well kill me because that he, he believe, he believe every dream, dream he have is coming from the ancestors. They are commanding him to do that because if he dream something, he have to follow it and do it. The murderer never denied the crime. Medical tests confirmed his soundness of mind. How strong must a killer's motivation be? How strong is his belief in occult forces? Criminologists describe this as a very unique kind of crime. It's a very unique crime on its own done for a specific purpose and done usually uh, in, in, in a ritualistic manner because the, the way the person is killed, uh, that they usually held down certain cuts or made, the, the body parts aren't just hacked off, they are cut ritualistically uh, and usually in a, in, a, in a lonely spot in the forest uh, and so on. And this is how the victim is often targeted um, the Inyanga, the client would come to an Inyanga and say, I need very strong uh, medicine, implying uh, muti that uses human body parts. Muti murders in South Africa are based on rituals and customs which are hundreds of years old. But the recent murders represent a perverted form of ruthless profiteering. Where does this belief in the power of human body parts come from? Why has there been an increase in murders in the past 20 years? There are no obvious immediate answers to these questions. What we have noticed is that it's being reported more readily, particularly in South Africa since 1995. Uh, our, our media has been, uh, you know, trying to find reasons for certain uh, things and, and 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 the perpetrators have been very slack about it. You know they, they've been done done uh, these murders as, not in the rural areas anymore, but in urban areas, and that is linked up to to the movement of a lot of migrant labour and rural people coming to uh, to the informal settlements in places like Johannesburg, um, and bringing those traditional beliefs with them and uh, w w what what the police have suspected is there's a lot of the the people that have gone missing in our townships on a weekly basis are being used for muti murders uh, and and they've done that they've they've linked that because they've found more bodies and they've actually caught more perpetrators in the act of trying to sell body parts to Nyangas. Uh so 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 that is why we there's been a a noticeable reported increase in Muti murders in the last sort of 10 years. The corpse of the child found in the Thames undoubtedly comes from Africa. This is confirmed by medical tests. The case has since become a burning issue in the UK. Press, radio, and TV regularly report new findings. In May 2002, Scotland Yard invited representatives of European police authorities to attend a conference on Moody murders in The Hague. They want to be able to react more quickly to these unfamiliar crimes in the future. The investigators try to understand the background to these occult practices, although they themselves are influenced by very different beliefs. I feel, and I will can answer myself, but I feel as an outsider, um, but from the understanding, I don't feel an intruder anymore. I think we've got the right because a five-year-old boy has been murdered in our country and the community, society, the government, whoever wants us to investigate this with a true heart that's a search for the truth. That little boy had no say. Who's going to say for him? And uh, I would suggest that the, the, the vast majority um, of the African communities present in the UK also want that wish. They're abhorred by it. You said it yourself. The majority are against it. Same here. 
They don't want to see people killed in this way. They don't want to see people killed. Um, and if we don't take it on, who does? Does the fight against these crimes mean the suppression of traditional African religion in general? We can't answer that, uh, can we? Because we can't put ourselves in that position. Um, but I think that's my point I'm trying to say. It's a, it's a point for society, government, whatever, to tackle that issue. It's a bigger problem than just Muti or voodoo murders. Um, so we just cannot come to an answer that will satisfy you no. in, in what you're looking for. I understand what you're looking for. Uh, but we will, we will go back to, OK, we're doing our job, and we're trying to do our job in the best way. Um, it will be totally inappropriate to do this and not try and understand why people would, are committing these murders. Uh, and in order to do that, because we have fortunately so few in the UK across Europe, uh, we, we have to go where the high, or they're prominent and that's in South Africa, Nigeria, uh, and those other countries in Africa. Labor migration in Africa is one of the main reasons why extreme forms of traditional religion have shifted from rural to urban regions. Under a highway in Johannesburg, between 60 and 200 people, depending on season, help produce and sell occult remedies made from animal and plant parts. Many of them come from rural regions in the north, from neighboring Zimbabwe and Botswana, or the Kruger National Park. Once or twice a year, dealers come here to sell animals and plants from more distant regions. Parts of a baboon fetch up to five US dollars, lion fat $30. The price depends on the strength of the respective muti. But there are increasingly frequent rumors that the most potent forms of muti are also available here, human body parts. Undercover police investigators arrested a man who tried to sell them a human head for 1,000 US dollars. The occult belief in the curative effect of human body parts and the enormous sums offered and paid for them are simply too attractive for some. The vast majority of traditional healers disassociate themselves from this kind of trade. But in the anonymity of the city, charlatans sell such goods out of greed and thereby damage the reputation of the Sangomas. No, they don't work together with the police at all. But if we have got a complaint from somebody, that through using moti, or maybe if uh, there are some suspicions uh, that some human parts are here being sold at uh, a certain place, uh, we act immediately to arrest those people uh, to 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 do more uh, to do more investigation. Where does those parts uh, come from, and all those things? Johannesburg a city where tradition clashes with modernism. Between one and two million illegal immigrants from Zimbabwe alone are believed to live in South Africa. Many are driven by sheer desperation to the cities of Johannesburg and Soweto. Prospects of finding a job in the cheap labor sector attract many to distant places. A man who finds a job here can feed up to 60 people in his hometown. 
Some get rich and move to the wealthy white suburbs, but the majority don't make it. To come to terms with the strange and threatening environment, many turn to occult religions. They desperately rebel against their distress and misfortune and try to achieve wealth and success, social mobility, by resorting to extreme methods. What is important for me to understand is that this is an African way of understanding that if the harmony of the whole is disturbed, it causes a problem. And if one person progresses more than others, it means others are deprived. And that may be one of the reasons why there's a belief that there's power in bodily parts, because you are taking off what belongs to someone else and make it yours. And the circumstances under which you do it could increase or enhance that power that becomes yours. So it, to me, it is part and parcel of a worldview of African people. With the arrival of the Europeans in Southern Africa, not only forms of settlement change, but also family structures, the legal system and traditional forms of farming. But in times of crisis in particular, traditional beliefs permeate the beliefs brought into the country by European and Arab colonizers. Strict religious customs originally introduced into the country by Christians are often adapted today to the spiritual ideas of Africa. ZCC, Zion's Christian Church, is one of almost 2,000 different churches. It is widespread in Southern Africa. Worshippers sing and dance and share water and milk before the church service. And they are filled with the Holy Ghost and begin speaking with other tongues. Speaking in tongues, the moment when the Holy Ghost enters worshipers, they speak freely and without constraint. Their tongues are loosened. Worshipers fall into a state of ecstasy. The Holy Ghost is speaking through them. To distinguish themselves optically from other religious communities, the members wear uniforms on Sundays. On weekdays, a star on their chest indicates their membership of the church. Members of the ZCC are given practical guidance during services. They are warned of the dangers of tobacco and alcohol and told that firearms are not a suitable way of solving a conflict. Wearing the star is believed to improve chances of finding a job. This is one of the reasons for the religious community's success. We know as well that um, from not just from that conference, from our cultural advisors, etc. But we, we know as well that 
many of these uh, countries, they have their new faith, Christianity, Islam, whatever, yeah. but they've also got that traditional belief below. Yes, so right. whilst on the face of it, may, they may well follow uh, Christianity, they will fall back on their traditional belief, ancestral, um, and things that have come up through generations and passed on from mouth to ear, mouth to ear, uh, and, and maybe with slight changes. And then we saw ourselves um, where you've got um, Muti in South Africa because of that word, that Zulu word of medicine. Mm. And when you've got voodoo or juju in, in Nigeria and around West Africa, there's been a kind of melding, a merging of the two beliefs, haven't there? Professor Peter Skira is one of the most renowned anthropologists who specializes in witchcraft in Africa. For over 20 years, he has studied the different forms and effects of occult aggression in this region. Well, what's going on in any case, uh, Muti is uh, it's, uh, a South African term, which can, has an enormous range of meanings in uh, South Africa. Muti is certainly not only the uh, the killing and uh, the killing of children and using them. Uh, so what's going on is that the term muti is kind of gradually taking on a special meaning in the sense of uh, what you are describing, also these uh, horrible details of people having to cry out when they're being killed. And now we see it suddenly turn up in Nigeria also, for instance, which is very confusing to say the least. So it is... Uh, it's quite clear that people in Nigeria know about these practices and kind of think, in general, maybe that's a good point to emphasize, this whole world of occult aggression, of witchcraft, if you want to call it like that. For me, what was very striking was how much it is about fashion, about uh, constantly new fashions. And in a way, that's quite logical because it's a world in which you want to kind of uh, surprise your adversary, in which you want to come up with new things in order to escape older forms of uh, mechanisms of defense. So anything that's new is very tempting because it promises success because people are not... You can take people off guard or you can surprise people. There are no sanctions yet against that, etc. So it's a world in which people are constantly running after fashion. Many areas south of the Sahara have no manufacturing industries. To make a living and feed a large family, most people have to set up their own business as street vendors, taxi drivers, or small traders. If their business fails, many turn to a traditional healer for advice. Why isn't my business as successful as my neighbor's? What is the reason for an illness or the sudden loss of a relation? questions that are frequently asked, but rarely answered. Occult belief and black magic help people understand their own fate. They believe economic success does not depend on personal virtues such as diligence or technical skills. Ancestors and other spiritual creatures influence their fate if these spirits are neglected, or if they are not honored or offered sacrifices, the social order is disturbed. Illness, dispute, or poverty are the consequences. Can Europeans understand the underlying principles of this culture without dismissing it as backward? And we've always said that we're not judging this culture. Um, That's right. Because, and I carefully said that, you know, culture's been good and bad. Um, and traditional beliefs uh, have got good in them. Mm. However, but the only bit that we're saying is we're dealing with the murder side of it. The fact, yes. that, the fact that someone may have a belief where they go through rituals where no one's harmed, Absolutely right. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. No, 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 not, not at all. This is a, it's almost a deviancy away from, from the normal traditionally held beliefs. Yeah, so again, if you take that funding, there's lots of people that have belief, yeah. and then they have certain beliefs, and then right down you have a small number yes. that will go to the extreme. Absolutely. Um, and they are the criminals, but all the others aren't. In July 2003, 21 Africans were arrested in London in connection with the murder 
After over two years of extensive research, Scotland Yard appears to be on the verge of finally cracking this mysterious case. But the background to the phenomenon of Muti murders and occult violence in Africa is highly complex and is by no means resolved with clarification of the case in London. In occult religions, many different gods are worshipped simultaneously. They compete amongst each other for human adoration. The spirits in these polytheistic systems are capricious. They become enraged when sacrifices are not made in their honor. They threaten illness, poverty, or death, or so it is believed. From today's perspective, moody murders seem particularly gruesome, but they are neither ordinary crimes, nor are they crimes committed by madmen. The most extreme form of occult violence is a radical expression of the conflict between the economy and the modern and traditional societies in Southern Africa.